Nobody told her about the billable hour. That would have been great if that was the question. If you know what they they ask the you know when they ask the Miss America pageants these these really in depth questions. You could be what is your opinion yeah. of the billable hour? Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, a show for accountants and bookkeepers using cloud technology to make their jobs more strategic and impactful. I'm Blake Oliver, and I'm David Leary. So, David, what's new in the world of cloud accounting this week? Um, I literally, I think an article came out about five minutes ago. Um, this is on uh, Insightful Accountant. It's it's a little time out a little about, about QuickBooks, but I think it's a little bit bigger story here. It's about how the new bank feeds are going to use tokens. So a lot of you have used apps with your cloud accounting apps, right? Where you're, you're uh, accounting software apps. You authorize the app. So you would say, yes, bill.com can read and write my QuickBooks data or my zero data. Mm-hmm. So you're you're, act, you're granting them a token to do that. Well, just the opposite's kind of going to happen now where you, your bank account, so if I have a bank account with Chase, I'm going to grant Chase access to, or I'm going to grant QuickBooks access to my Chase bank account. So instead of giving Intuit my Chase username and password, mm-hmm. and then Intuit, every time they need to get the bank feeds, basically is mimicking you going to the website in a, in a strange kind of way, right? It's scraping yeah. that off their site. It'll issue a token. So the connection will be more reliable. It'll be more long-term. The banks are happy because they're a little bit more control, right? It's just higher security. And then ultimately, in, in most token-based models, you can disconnect. So I'm sure somewhere on the Chase's website, I could see all the stuff I've granted access to my bank account. Rather than having to change your password in order to make sure that everything's disconnected if you if you get rid of a, an app or something like that. Exactly. So so it's using more of a standard web model, a token-based model to, to connect. It's kind of crazy, actually, uh, that the old way of doing it, like actually giving your username and password for your banking, has been the way that we've granted access to software to our, our, our bank feeds for so long. I mean, that's just so not secure. Yeah, it, it's... Yeah, you're giving you're giving it to a big huge company like Intuit or Zero, yeah, right, to get your bank feed access. Or there's some third party providers that provide that. But if you really go before services like that existed, people were like accountants and bookkeepers were just keeping it in a QuickBase or they're keeping it written down in a folder. They were keeping their clients' usernames, their clients' usernames and passwords, which is really on the crazy side. If you, yeah, you're right. If you think about it in the the long bigger well, bigger picture, yeah. And I actually uh, remember uh, this being an issue with uh, HubDoc. Um, I think that's still how they do it. And so um, periodically, I will get alerts from Bank of America that somebody is logging into my bank account from Canada, uh, and it, it you know it worried me at first, and then I realized what was happening that they're flagging uh, HubDoc logging in. Yeah, which which is great. You're being alerted of that, but the problem is it also somebody, how do you know that one time it wasn't fraud? Right. It, and also, yeah. And, and then like it, it, customers, you know, clients of the, of a firm that's using a, a solution like that have no clue what's going on. And that worries them a lot and they get scared. And then they change the password and then nothing works anymore. Yeah. And so this will probably roll out to the bigger banks first, right. That are big enough to have their own APIs. But then when you talk about the, the mm-hmm. mid-sized banks and even the, the credit unions and uh, some of the regionals, a lot of those use tech stacks they purchase from somebody else. Mm-hmm. So once that tech stack, all of a sudden out of nowhere, 2,000 regionals will all have the same technology stack, right? Because they're using somebody else's software under their covers. But yeah, you're probably going to first see this with the Chases, um, the Bank of America, the Wells Fargo's, the big players first. Because ultimately the banks, I think we've talked about this before, they want to be in the API business. But mm-hmm. they want to provide APIs they for be. them. It's crazy that they ha- they don't want access to more data. 
Cool. Well, hey, speaking of, um, uh, since we started with software news, uh, feature releases and whatnot, I've got one here. Sage Intact has revealed that uh, they acquired Bajetta. I think that's how you say it. Um, back in, I think it was 2017, and they didn't make an announcement at the time. Uh, but uh, now they are announcing that they had, they did in fact acquire Bajetta, which is a uh, budgeting and planning application, and they have uh, released a version that they are calling Sage Intact Budgeting and Planning. Uh, very similar to the you know T-Sheets getting acquired by Intuit and HubDoc getting acquired by Zero. This is now Bajetta getting acquired by Sage Intact, this uh, time on the, in the mid-market. Uh, I think they're still leaving Bajetta as a standalone application, but now you have a deeper integration with Intact. And if you're an Intact user, you can more easily go and... Uh, and implement a budgeting and planning tool. That makes sense. It kind of goes to that. I know you, uh, after you went to Intact Conference, right? You're in Intact Conference. You uh, mm-hmm. came back and you said that um, they're kind of adding more consumer-facing features, if that's the right word in it, right? Um, yeah. And so I imagine this is going to lead to dashboards and graphs inside their product. Yeah. Well, in, in, in Intact, um, they do have dashboards. That's one of the uh, big selling points of going to their solution is you can, you know, you don't have to have a separate dashboard solution. It's all it's all in there, right? Totally customizable. Uh, but they did not have the budgeting planning uh, side of it. So it's interesting. I'm um, you know curious what this will. I'm curious what this means, say for uh, competitors like uh, Adaptive Insights, Host Analytics. Um, but I imagine that it'll it'll be very similar to these other acquisitions that have happened, where nobody tries to muscle out the the non-owned add-ons or the third-party add-ons. It just doesn't make sense. Just another example of how, right, ERPs, cloud accounting solutions are trying to broaden uh, the services that they offer or the features that they have while still allowing for uh, integrations. Right? You, get to, you get to have your cake, you get to eat it too. You can use what the built-in budgeting and planning of Intact now, or you can go get some other solution that maybe fits your needs better. Yeah, as long as everybody keeps their APIs open, we'll yeah. the future will continue down that path, absolutely. Hey, speaking of uh, API, speaking of wars, uh, the trade war is going on still, tariffs and all that with China. And I just heard something about it on the news, but it didn't have anything to do with cloud accounting, so I wasn't really paying that attention. But then I, I also recently saw an article in the Wall Street Journal about how tariffs could actually increase costs on cloud computing. I didn't really think that was possible, right? Because uh, cloud computing, hey, it's in the cloud. We're talking about data. It doesn't, it's, you know, these are not physical things that we have to purchase, right? I, you know, I figured tariffs are limited to cars and cell phones and whatnot, right? But uh, it turns out that um, part of the Trump administration's proposed tariffs on $200 billion of Chinese goods includes levies of up to 25% on routers switches and servers that will raise prices for cloud services in the U.S. That's according to a Wall Street Journal. Uh, and um, what is the actual cost of this? Well, if there were a 10% levy on all of these imports, all these hardware devices that we use for cloud computing in our data centers, that could slow U.S. economic output by $163 billion over the next 10 years. And a 25% levy would slow output by $332 billion. Got it. So it's not, it's not a... The actual cloud accounting, the ser- the servers, the the companies that provide cloud accounting services aren't really involved in the tariffs. It's the hardware that all this infrastructure, everything's built on. Yeah, the, the hardware, the hardware that Amazon buys, you know, for its uh, Amazon Web Services uh, data centers, or that Salesforce buys, or Oracle, or Microsoft. 
So basically, you know, if, if that substantially increases the cost uh, to provide cloud computing services on the back end, uh, theoretically, that will get passed through to businesses and then ultimately to those businesses, uh, either business customers or consumer end customers at some point. It, 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 I guess it just depends on um, you know how much the cloud computing vendors can can absorb or if they'll pass it on. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Like, I mean, we're, we're obviously focused on small business and accounting and, and accounting technology here, but it's really interesting. All of the free services, all the consumer stuff that's just free out there, advertising based models, right? Our advertisers going to have to pay more, or some of these free services. Just maybe they could they they at X they they're able to offer these services for free, and at this mm-hmm. new price X X plus five, they just can't, right? And so it'd be interesting to see the impact. I, I could see a you know you could see prices go up. You know, possibly and small businesses could afford to pay $2 more a month for a SaaS app or something like that. But yeah. it's these free apps. It'd be interesting. Like, can something go from free to paid because it just costs more to provide that service? Yeah, or or uh, our advertisers going to have to pay more on Facebook? Yeah. That sort of thing, right? Like, And that affects small businesses because if, if you're an accounting firm or a small business, you should be advertising on social media. Like, it, it's a no brainer at this point. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We'll have to keep an eye on that. And uh, I think everything, who knows where things are headed come November. Midterms yeah. are midterms are right around the corner. That's true. So uh, I have another one uh, kind of swinging all the way back to billable hours again. Mm-hmm. Um, My favorite topic. I, I, you know, love the billable hour. Let's try this article out for you. Um, AI and machine learning could empower your accounting career path. So there's an article from Levi Morehouse. Levi has an accounting firm, Ceteris. It's very, very, very uh, automation driven. So everything is high volume clients, uh, mm-hmm. all automation. But his article really uh, talks about like you, there's two paths. It's not the only path. So his firm's like that. And there's a path for people that are going to automate everything and take on large numbers, high volume of clients, but there's still another path, right? As we go forward. And that's going to be that advising type path. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're going to, that's going to be more similar to like what Jason Blumer uh, preaches with Thrival or uh, Chris Chris Farman's really doing that with um, small batch standard, which is he's only focused on breweries, right? And he's, he's nailing it with just 40 breweries, just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of two paths in that. Here's a good paragraph or quote in here. Let me um, read that out. Oh, I've got it right here. Okay. Yeah. So he says, I love this quote. Um, Levi says, accountants can either become communicators of critical business data and information empowered to advise key stakeholders on business initiatives based on keen insight, or they can become experts in redesigning traditional industry processes to be more efficient by leveraging modern technology. So like you said, there are two paths to the future for accountants. Do, you can become that advisor, business coach, communicator of financial information, storyteller is how I like to think of it. Or you can become a process automation technology person. And you focus on getting rid of all of that data entry and stuff like which, you know, that's, that's, that's basically what I was doing a lot of, right, at, at my firm. So it's great because there's something for everybody. Yeah, it's just for, I think the the third path, which is like kind of flap around in the middle between those two paths, is the, the danger zone. Like you, ha- you you're going to have to have to have a super highly efficient firm that takes on thousands of clients, or a firm that is a super super niche, and you're super super expert, right. and you super and you have amazing advising, and you're super hands on. Exactly. So, but if you're kind of in the middle, like if it's tough, it's going to be really really tough. Right. 
Well, and ideally your firm, if, if you're big enough, you do both, right? You have people in the firm who are experts at IT and process automation. And then you also have people in the firm who are really good with people and you let them do what they're good at. Don't make them do everything. Yeah, and I, I think I've, I've spoke to some people that have that, but they, they have those two parts of their firms very, very separated. Almost like they run in like separate entities because they just mm. you get a lot no, of conflict. Yeah, they need to work together. Yeah, the, but well, I mean, you have to work together. But it's 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 really tough because it's a trade off, right? Like you can't um, you can't give that level of service to a thousand clients that you can if you only have forty, right? And and for the price, you just can't because if you're if you're right. if you're taking that yeah. model of a thousand clients and you're only charging them one hundred and fifty a month or whatever, right? You're kind of going that super efficient technology model. You can't provide thousands of dollars of advising, right? Um, in right, that right. price point, and so that's where it, it, it's a it's a yin and a yang, I think. On which, one, but you can't be stuck in the middle. Like you, you got to start picking a path you want to take your firm. Hey, well, speaking of career paths and um, you know the future of the profession and whatnot, I've got an article of another article from the Wall Street Journal uh, about Amazon's Jeff Bezos. So he was at a, a forum a panel discussion of some sort, and um, he gave some advice, right? or he talked a little bit about his methods, how he works. Uh, and the thing I love that he said is that he said uh, that he never tries to schedule a meeting before 10 a.m. because he likes to have his mornings clear to think and to get ready for the day and all that stuff, which... Uh, which I really like because I, I have trouble with early morning meetings. As you know, David, I was late getting into the office so we could record this podcast. LA traffic, LA traffic, right? So, yeah, LA, I can blame LA traffic, but honestly, it's me. Um, and and so I like to use my morning to read to catch up on the news, right? To to get ready for the day. And uh, so I'm gonna we're actually I'm gonna take this advice and we're gonna move all of our podcast recordings to after 10 a.m. Pacific time. If you are okay with that, that works. <laughs> and the other thing that Bezos says is that. Um, he doesn't try to do a lot every day. He tries to make a small number of high quality decisions daily. So like th if he makes three good decisions a day, he's happy with what he's done. And, you know, you think about that, right? And this is completely the opposite of how a lot of us operate and how we learned to operate in accounting, which is get up at seven, 6am and work until God knows when, right? Work constantly, put out as much work as you can and do a lot every single day. And, and, and if you want to be successful, I mean, right, you, 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 I think Warren Buffett's another guy who's like this, right? He doesn't try, try to do a lot and he saves a lot of time for just reading and learning and educating himself. And I mean, I'm convinced that, that, that we as accountants have to figure out how to do less, but do more at the same time. Yeah, I mean that's that treadmill, right? And and I think you 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 get up in the morning, you see you're checking your email, and next thing you know, you 14 hours later, the day's over, and you you're like, oh, I didn't do anything today, right? And, yeah. and you did a lot, but you didn't do the things that were really important, yeah. right? The priorities, right? You didn't work on your firm's marketing, or you, you didn't build in some automation to a process that you now you do every single day, and if you just automated it, you'd save yourself five minutes a day, ten minutes a day, right? Yeah. And it's so, that adage of like making your bed when you wake up. Right. So that way, at least at the end of the day, you're like, I accomplished one thing like that got done at least today because. <laughs> well, and, and, and I feel like those firms like Jason Blummer's, you know, where they focus on a small number of high quality clients, you can have that lifestyle, right? You can start your meetings at 10 a.m. because it's not like you have a million people pounding down your door. Well, that but I think it's 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 carving out your time and controlling your calendar. 
right? And and yeah. it's uh, I think it's a bigger personal development issue, less how you run your firm. Because if you can't do it to yourself first, there's no way you're going to really implement this in your firm, right? And, and it's like, how do you protect you, your own time is valuable and how you protect that? Um, I've struggled this with myself, yeah. like really bad. So, but I totally understand. Hey, so we're... Um we're still talking about uh, CPA firms, right? Or we started talking about them. Uh, I've got another article about billable hours, if you're up for that. Jump in. So this is called Focus on Billable Hours Drives Millennials Away. It's by Garrett Wagner. Um, there's been a lot of talk about billable hours and why that's a bad idea, right? I mean, Ron Baker's the the, the, the prophet, and there are many of us who are followers of him. But um, what I like about Garrett's article is that he takes a different different perspective on it. And he says that, the reason that you need to get away from billable hours, or at least another great reason, is that millennials don't want to work for you if, if you're evaluating them based on billable hours. As it gets harder and harder to recruit talent and find good CPAs, we're going to need to be able to recruit them. And if we don't want to work with us because we force them to have a timesheet, record billable hours, then it's going to become a big problem. Yeah. Well, especially, like, I mean, if a lot of millennials are coming out and if they're, they're, they've been using cloud software, they've, maybe they're familiar with a little bit of automation tools in their Gmail and they've been using some things to automate their life. It really, the, that technology and, and being more efficient makes them, I, I can see where they're conflicted. Like, wait, you're going to pay, you want me to bill X amount of hours, but if I just do the job in five minutes because I use these five or six tools instead to make my job more efficiently, like I'm sure it's hard for them to reconcile, right? And and he's right. Yeah. People are going to like you don't want to be judged like that. You want to be judged on how efficient, yeah. or how fast you got things done. Right. Yeah. This thing, right? Millennials, we are uh, uh, digital natives. A lot of us, we we at least uh, experienced you know the wonder of collaboration tools in college, right? A lot of us got Google Apps in college, so we understand the value of of you know not having to email stuff back and forth and whatnot, right? Just to just to give a small example, and so yes, if I automate a process as a millennial in a firm, I cut my billable hours and now I don't make my goal and I don't get my bonus. And I think that is ridiculous. I just made the client happy. I made everything faster and better. And yet the firm's incentive structure is completely against that. Yeah. So it's, it's really, you know, um, how they measure value. Yep. And if, if you're still measuring on the, on the, on the billable hour and that's how you're measuring the value of your staff, you're just not going to keep millennials on your team and they're going to go to more forward thinking firms ultimately. Yeah. Are they going to, they're going to leave public accounting. They're going to go to industry where they don't have to fill out a timesheet. Right. I, I, I think the, I think that the big firms in particular, or they go to small firms where, you know, they don't get evaluated based on the billable hours so much. I think that big accounting firms are going to have a real problem if they don't make the switch. They're going to have a huge talent issue and I don't know how they're going to recruit new partners. Uh, I, I mean, if you're smart, why, why, or at least smart ones, right? If you're really smart, why would you want to be part of that culture when there's so many good alternatives? Now? Well, maybe you there want to go to this, our next article. Maybe they go to work for PwC. I'm smart, right? But I want extra training. So PwC announced they are going to train in the next, it's like a digital skills program for the next two years. They're going to train a thousand employees on technology, everything from like drones to blockchain. Uh, the interesting thing about this article was the um, 46,000 uh, PwC employees, 3,500 employees applied, but they only really have spots for a thousand in this program. So that's uh, a big funnel drop down to only a thousand employees yeah. get to do this, but also ties to the article last week as far as, hey, if somebody has blockchain on the resume, their X percentage is more likely to get a uh, 
an interview into that next round. Mm -hmm. So obviously this is in demand. So this is like, okay, so maybe you still judge your employees by Bill Bauer, but maybe if you give them extra training on some of these new technologies, maybe they'll stick around. Yeah. And, and of course we don't have a lot of details as to what this program is, but we do know the time commitment is pretty intense. It's 10 hours per week for 18 to 24 months. So PwC is not skimping on the, at least the hours uh, for this program. I do wonder if uh, if you participate, if, if those hours are going to come out of your pocket, <laughs> or if you're going to have <laughs> where do these billable these hours come from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I going to have to work, uh, you know, sixty hours instead of fifty, or seventy instead of sixty, in order to uh, be able to to do this program? But there's a quote in here that I really liked. I'm going to try to find it. When you do that, there's a graph in there that's really interesting. And um, Microsoft Excel has been downgraded to the least important skill set for new hires. So. Oh yeah. Well, hold on, hold on. I hate this stat. Okay. Cause this always comes out like all the FPNA tools like to say that Excel is not uh, like valuable anymore. Or they, they try to imply that like it's been downgraded. Now this is true. CFOs are not saying that Excel skills are uh, as important as adapt being adaptable to new technologies, according to this chart. Uh, and of course it came from adaptive insights, but if you survey uh, CFOs on what, uh, like if Excel skills are important, it's not like that's changed, right? Excel skills are still just as important as they ever were. It's just not what they are uh, primarily looking for anymore. Well, yeah, I think it's table stakes, right? Like you just have to have Excel skills. Yeah. But hey, it'd be nice if you could also collaborate with others and communicate well, right? Um, it'd be nice if you were able to uh, easily adopt other new technologies. But yeah, it's like you, like, yeah, I think it's you have to have some base level of Excel, right? Just to get your foot in the door now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and here's the quote that I liked. As long as we're teaching people the right skills, it'll keep them agile. Gone are the days of being done learning after getting your bachelor's. Like, has, has there ever been a time where like that was the case? Like you, you could just stop. I feel like in, in the accounting profession, right? Like other than like your CPE uh, on tax or audit regulations or whatnot. Yeah, kind of. Okay. Right. I mean, you could really easily just not learn new stuff as long as you just kept up with those professional CP requirements. But like, no, not possible anymore. Tech is still such a tiny, tiny part of the accounting curriculum. I can't believe it. It's just absurd. I mean, it was there was one elective when I was going through school, and that was you know I, I'm a career changer, so that wasn't that long ago. One elective on like QuickBooks. Wow. So, so yeah. So yeah. you have to do it yourself, or at least PwC is making an effort to bring it to everybody. Well, to a small yeah. percentage of their employees, anyways. Well, um, that's all I've got this week. Anything no, I, I think I saw an article. Um, it may have been Miss America just happened or something. And I think uh, Miss Missouri was a, an accountant. Oh, yeah. I did hear about this. I saw this on Going okay. Concern. Yeah. Other than that, I, I, I didn't see much. I, I, I think she didn't win. So I don't know if it's, you know, if she would have won, it would have been much bigger news. I think we would have uh, led with that story. But I think I saw that. So it's a uh, hey, good job. Well, she wants to continue her education and become a CPA, I believe. So um, that's great. Well, don't t nobody told her about the billable hour. That would have been great if that was the question. If you know, like, they, they asked the, you know, they asked the Miss America pageants, these, these really in-depth questions you could be what is your opinion yeah. of the billable hour well, that would have been well i hope she would say that she thinks it's crap because it's not like they evaluate the uh miss america contestants on how many hours they put into their preparation no right all they care about is results that's true that's true that's true good point and on that i think maybe firms should firms should be more like miss america pageants <laughs> a whole blog post in there all right like we have a whole week to go through. Maybe we'll see some uh, new news, new exciting stuff, and we'll be back here on Friday. Sounds great, David. This was a pleasure. And, and where should people reach you if they want to uh, say hi or uh, send um, you a story? Twitter's going to be easiest, at David Leary. Um, also, LinkedIn, um, I'm 
you can just find me on LinkedIn, David Leary, uh, same, same handle. I am at Blake T. Oliver on Twitter, and you can also uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Have a good one, and we'll see everybody next week. See you.